0: And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform, and they had made for the, they had made for that purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkai, Messiah on his right hand, and on and Paiah, michel, Milchhaidj, Hashem, Hasbandannah Zechariah. And Heshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, and the great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Yeshua, Benai, Sheribai, Yamin, Akub, Shabitha, Hodiah, Hasiah, Kalida Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense that the people understood the reading.
1: You guys may be seated. Um, You're welcome, by the way, for assigning that. (laughs) Good morning, King's Cross. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Uh, we are grateful for dads. Um, I have a dad. He's sitting right there. Uh, happy Father's Day. And uh, happy Father's Day to, to, to all of you uh, who have children. Um, we are in the middle uh, of our series through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, The book of Nehemiah, and this book, Nehemiah, um, is um, just this great story, this great story about just this ordinary guy, an ordinary guy named Nehemiah, who's been called by God to do an extraordinary work. Uh, and sort of the backstory, just trying to review and catch us up to speed, the backstory of Nehemiah is that the walls of Jerusalem, the walls of God's city, they've been destroyed. They've been broken. They've been destroyed for over 140 years. So, for over a century, the walls have been broken down, the city uh, is uh, laid uh, vulnerable, uh, and the temple, the church there where God people used to worship was completely just uh, uh, obliterated, and the people of God are scattered throughout the world as a result, and so historically, this is a really sad situation for God's people, right? Like historically, this is a bad situation for them. They're scattered. Their temple is burned down. The, the walls are broken down. Uh, yet God, what we saw uh, and what we have been seeing in Nehemiah is that God, out of his love for his people, he did not leave them in this mess. He didn't leave this in this mess because we know this because he called Nehemiah uh, and he placed a burden on his heart to lead a group of people back to the city so they could rebuild it, so they could refortify it, so they could make it worthy again to house God's people. And as soon as Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, as soon as they arrived back in, in the city, they realized, like, man, things are worse than they thought. It is a hot Mess. And as they continue to, to, to do this massive construction project to rebuild the walls, we see that opposition rises up, that enemies rise up, that difficulty rises up. We see that people are divided from within and that Nehemiah is discouraged in his soul. But again... When we see that, when we see all this, this mess going on, we see that they worked through that. They worked through that because God was with them. And as we saw last week, God strengthened them. And so last week, what we finally saw is that the walls are finished. The walls are done. The gates are set up. And now if you flip ahead in the book of Nehemiah, you might see that from this point on, from chapter 8 on, you might see like we have a few chapters left. Right, you might be thinking like why doesn't the story end here? why doesn't the story end with the walls getting rebuilt like isn't that the whole point that we've been talking up, up up until now? wasn't that the point of this whole project was to rebuild the walls like why doesn't the story end here? isn't the job done? but the story doesn't end here because the most important part of this rebuilding Program is still to come. The most important part is still to come. You see, the purpose of rebuilding God's city, of re-erecting His walls, wasn't just so they could play the most you know, epic game of, of racquetball in the city. It was so that God's people could once again faithfully worship Him and to also be a faithful witness of Him to the watching world. That was the point. That's always been the point. The reason that they rebuilt the city is so that God's people could once again be a faithful uh, worshippers of God. But also, on the other hand, that they could be a faithful witness to the watching world. And so, see, Nehemiah's end vision and God's final purpose was to rebuild his people, not not just physically, but but spiritually. You see, this wasn't just a physical construction project. This was a spiritual reformation project. God's purpose was to reestablish his people as a holy people, set apart from the world, free to enjoy his pleasures, but also sent into the world to live by his great power and for his great praise. And so here in chapter 8, what we see is that now everything's built, right? The, 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 the walls are up, the city is, for the most part, rebuilt, and the people who were once scattered, they're now gathered. And from the beginning, from the beginning of the Bible, we see that God's people have always been a people that gather, Right. We've always been a people that get together. You see this throughout the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. God commands his people to gather at one as one. Right. In the Old Testament, they did that at Sinai, in the temple, in synagogues. In the New Testament, we see that that they do start to do that uh, with these Sunday gatherings where they gather together for the word. That's what we're doing this morning, isn't it? If you ever wonder why uh, God's people, like, get together every single week on, on the same day, like, we, we gather for the word. Hebrews 10 says, you know, don't neglect to meet together. Never neglect to meet together. That's who we are. You see, we're people who, who gather. It's written into who we are as God's people. It's part of our DNA. We are a gathering people. Now, when God's people gather, what is supposed to happen? What is supposed to happen when we gather? You see, as followers of Jesus, like our job is that when we gather, we, we our job is to, is to, when we worship, is to meet with Jesus in the Word and to delight in Him. is to consider Him, to dwell on Him, to delight in Him, to come into His presence, to encounter the living God. Through Jesus, as a people, that's what we do. And the way that that's done is primarily through the Word. Through the Word of God. And that's what we see happening here in chapter 8. You see the walls are built, the gates are up, and now the people are gathering together for worship for the first time in almost a century and a half. In over a hundred years, they haven't gathered together as one people to worship. And so they're doing this now for the first time in over a hundred years. They gathered together to hear the word of God preached. You see, if this was a church plant in Nehemiah, then this would be sort of like their Sunday launch. That's what we're reading. See, there's still a lot left to do like in, in, in the city. There's still a lot to do in Jerusalem. There's still more buildings to finish, more infrastructure to sort of put in place more people and resources to move around. But what they decided is their highest priority, their number one priority was to gather as the church to learn the scriptures, to spend time (laughs) worshiping the God of the Bible with each other. You see, in a community like ours with a church plant like this, there are tons of things that we can and should do. There's ministries to start. There's areas and needs to serve in. There's community with each other. There's family community with each other that we need to build and that we are building. But our first priority is to open the word. To grow in understanding of who God is and what he's done. To spend time worshiping and have our minds renewed and our spirits strengthened so that we can be all about the things that God has called us as a people, as his people to be about. And so that's what we're kind of diving into uh, in chapter 8 to see that God's people are people that are formed by the word formed by the Word. And so there's three headers for our text we'll be looking at. First, the priority of the Word. Secondly, our posture toward the Word. And thirdly, uh, how to respond to the Word. The priority of the Word, our posture toward the Word, and then how to respond to the Word. Let's look at that first one, the priority of the Word. Read verse 1 with me. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Notice it says all the people, all the people gathered. You know how many people that was? I'll give you a clue. It was more than a few, (laughs) right? Like if you do the math in chapter 7, you see that it's actually 50,000 people. 50,000 people, like that's a fantastic first day for a new church, right? 50,000 people show up for church. It says, all the people gather as one man into the square before the water gate. Now this has nothing to do with Richard Nixon, that's another water gate, but it has everything to do with Nehemiah. You see, this water gate that is talk they're talking about, is it's like basically the busiest intersection In the city that they just rebuilt. The Watergate is where everyone gathered for for trade, for services, for food and water. You see, everyone is gathering there in the busiest intersection in the city. But everyone was there. And so that means people left their homes, they left their businesses, and they're gathering in the busiest place in the entire region. It's kind of like... Times Square on New Year's Eve, right? Like all the cubicles are empty. The stores are closed. The gas stations are shut down. The malls are closed because everyone's gathered in like the busiest place in town. 50,000 people. 50,000 people gathered for the first time in ages God's people are gathered as one unified people with one heart, with one mind. And and, and here's what they do. Look at verse 1 again. They make a request. They say, it says, They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So all the people are gathered and they say, Bring us the book. Bring us the book. Get the scriptures. Bring the book. Bring the Bible and open it. 50,000 people saying, we want the scriptures. You see, usually... Usually, if you get fifty thousand people together in, in the same place, like like someone's gonna start the wave at some point, right? Like normally, that's that's what happens. And once the wave catches on, like if you ever watch it happen, like like people try to start it, and then more people catch on, and then once everyone catches on, it's like an exciting thing, right? You're like, look how beautiful it is. It's just going like from right to left, and and it's like you, you almost imagine like like it probably started with a few people, right? Saying. Hey, bring us the book. And then more started joining in. And then more started chanting. And the next thing you know, you got 50,000 people shouting, bring us the book. Bring the book of the law of Moses. And what does that tell us? See, that tells us that this book that they wanted, this book that they desired was a big deal to them. This book was a big deal. See, the word of God was a big deal to them. God gave them a burning desire for his word. A burning desire for his word. There was a desire to dig in, to learn the scriptures, to understand it together. And the reason was because this this book was the life source of God's people. The book was, was the life source of God's people. You see, God builds and he forms his people with his word. He builds and forms his people with his word. In the same way that, like, you you know, you plant a seed to grow, uh, like, a a garden, like, a flower or, or a tree. Like, the word of God is the seed that grows the people of God. And you see, the people in this passage, they, they knew that. This was their experience. This was their history. They understood that. And that's why they're yelling out for it. They understood that it was their life source. They said, bring us the book of the law of Moses. Now, what is the book of the law of Moses? The book of the law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible. Some scholars call it the, the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. You see, because back then, that's all that they had. They didn't have these leather-bound 66 books, Old Testament and New Testament, that we have today. They had the first five books. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's what they're shouting for. That's what they're asking for. Like, how many of you woke up this morning and, and, and thought, give me some Deuteronomy, right? Like, I want some Deuteronomy this morning. But that's what they did. They said, give us the book of the law of Moses. Now, why are they so stoked about the book of the law? What was so exciting about it? You see, they understood that this book, this, this word, is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. You see, it tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. And it tells us how we should live as creatures in God's created world. Some of you guys may have heard this analogy of of like the the three blind men trying trying walking up to an elephant trying to figure out like what what it is. Like you guys ever heard this before? Uh, So so basically, it's like you got three blind men. They walk up to to this elephant, uh, and one of them like grabs the trunk and he says, "Uh, "You know, I think I know what this is. This is a snake." This is clearly like this is a snake, right? And then the other one uh, walks walks up to it, uh, this elephant, and and he and he grabs a hold of like the elephant's leg, and he's like, no, it's like a kind of leathery, like I, I, it feels like a really really strong, tough tough tree, right? Like feels like a feels like a tree trunk, and then. And then the third guy walks up and he's, he's, he's touching the side of the elephant and he's just like, no, I, that, this is really hard and, and it's hot. And he's like, I think this is a boulder, right? And like, usually when people tell this story, like their point is, um, they're, they're trying to make a point about relativism. This point that like, hey, you know, we can never fully know the truth. Right? Like we can never fully know the truth because, like, we're all blindly trying, trying to reach in and, and and find out, like, what is this world, and is there a God, and and who is He? But the reason that that analogy fails is because they never take into consideration, like, what if the elephant knew how to talk? Right? Like, what if the elephant? What if the elephant said, No, idiots, I'm an elephant, right? Like, you see, that's what the Word of God is. It's like God has revealed to us who He is. It tells us who He is, His character, His nature, His beauty, His majesty. The Bible is the sum of all that is true, good, and beautiful in God's created world. It tells us who God is, who we are, and how we should live in his world. You see, that's why they placed such a high priority on the preaching of the word. That's why they were screaming for it. Give us the book. Bring us the book of the law. They wanted to be preached at. They wanted to receive the word. It was their priority. You see... That leads us to our next point, and that's our posture that we should have towards the Word, our posture. You see, read read verse 2 and 3 with me. It says in verse 2, it says, Ezra the high priest brought the law, so he, he takes out the book that they're screaming for, Ezra the high priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he, Ezra, uh, read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. So That's like a six-hour sermon. He's preaching for six hours. And it says, In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we've got a six-hour sermon. And it says here that they were attentive. You see, mm. Some of you can't last six minutes. And like, yeah, that's right. Like I, I see everything from up here. <laughs> but, but seriously, like I, I want us to notice something in this. It says their ears were attentive to the book of the law. You see, they had this posture toward the word that was ready to receive. They didn't just call out for it, wanted him to bring it. They wanted to receive it. They had a receptive posture. You see, you're not going to shut down your business for the entire day, gather at the gate, and stand in the heat for six hours with 50,000 other sweaty bodies unless you're convinced that this book is unlike any other book. You're not going to do that unless you understand that this book is unlike anything else, unless you know that this book brings life, that it's perfect, that it's alive, that it's inspired, that it's authoritative, that it's unlike anything else. You see, they knew that this book came from the God who spoke creation into existence from nothing. The God of the universe that this book speaks of, he spoke creation into, the, into existence from nothing. And in his word, in the pages, in the book of the law of Moses that they had, in the Old Testament and New Testament that we have, like that same powerful voice, that same powerful voice that spun the heavens into existence speaks to us personally. That voice speaks to us personally. That's why they're going wild for the word of God. They were screaming for it. They were asking for it, hungering for it. They were starving for it. You see, in case, in case you haven't figured it out by now, like eight, eight nine weeks into, into this church, like, like, our view of scripture here at, at King's Cross Church is that we're a Bible-believing church. We believe in the Bible. We believe it to be true. We believe it, just like they did, to be the source of life. To tell us all that is true, all that is good, all that is beautiful in God's created world. We're a Bible-believing church. And so we believe that the Scriptures are true, are useful, are practical, and powerful. You see, in the New Testament, Peter tells us in In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Like newborn infants, you should long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, if he's saying, look, if you know that God is good, If you know God is good, if you know Jesus, if you follow him, if you worship him as God, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you will crave. You will hunger for the scriptures in the same way that a baby craves for milk. You'll cry out for it because you know that you're sustained by it. You see, all these people gathered at the water gate, they weren't yearning for just any kind of spiritual experience apart from God's word. They weren't yearning from some arbitrary spiritual experience. They were yearning for God's revealed word. They were hungry for it. You see, we need more of that today. We need more of that today. Some of us like fall 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 prey to this thinking that, like, man, this this book, this ancient book, is irrelevant to us today, right? Like, there's so many better things. There's so many other mediums that are that 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 are better for us than than just some old ancient book. If you want to learn about good, true, and beautiful in this world, like the world is vying for our attention. You just you just look at the magazine shelf at the checkout stand. At the grocery store, and you'll see, like, these magazines are full of headlines. They're full of captions that tell us how to live, that tell us what to live for, that tells us what matters most in the world. You see, everyone else is trying to tell us what's true, good, and beautiful in this world, and we buy into it. We chase after those things. There's a Bible teacher named Nancy Guthrie, and I'm I, I was reading her notes on this passage, and um, I really love what she said, so, so I'm just, I'm just going to put the quote right here and read it for you. But Nancy Guthrie, she says, she, she understands that we need this today, and she says, Oh, that God might raise up men and women in our day who are hungry for the book. Hungrier for the book than we are for an inspirational or entertaining experience. Hungrier for the book than we are for Pinterest-worthy aesthetics. Hungrier for the book than for for good advice to solve what we see as our most significant problems. Hungry to hear God's voice break through the busyness of raising children. The ding of another email message arriving. The draw of popular bloggers. Willing to let God set the agenda of the conversation. Open to what he says even if it doesn't sit well with us. Invested in growing in a right understanding. Convicted that what he said is the truest truth. The most solid foundation. The most nourishing food. And certain that his promises are our surest expectation. That, and that obeying his commands will generate our deepest joys. You see, that is how you know that the word of God... Is it part of who you are as a Christian? Does it generate your deepest joys? Are you hungry for it? Do you hunger for it more than you hunger any, for anything else that the world is throwing at you? You see, the reason that we get thirsty so quickly is because our bodies are made up of like 90% water. 80%? 90%? I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> somewhere around there. And so like, if you're dehydrated... That means that your water levels have gotten too low for your comfort and you start to thirst, right? In the same way, if the Word of God is part of your life, if it's the source of your life, and if you've been changed by it, made a new creation by it, then it's part of who you are, part of every fiber of you, and you hunger for it. You study it. You long for it. You're nourished by it. You see, they didn't come... To hear. You see, they didn't come to hear Ezra's ideas. They didn't come to hear his opinions. They came to hear God speak, to hear God speak through his word. Read verse four and five with me. It says, Ezra, um, just a quick note. If you're wondering who Ezra is, Ezra is basically like a pastor, a teacher in this story. Like up until now, we've been reading about Nehemiah, right? Like Nehemiah is sort of like the entrepreneurial leader who who starts this project, who rebuilds the city. And that was what Nehemiah was called to do. And Ezra is called specifically to be a, like a pastor, to be a preacher of the word. That's who Ezra is. So so uh, read verse four with me. It says, Ezra the scribe. He stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. So it's basically, they made him a pulpit. And in verse 5, it says, And then Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people from the pulpit, from the platform. And as he opened it, all the people, they stood. You see, that's why we stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, It's a posture of of reverence. We're saying, hey, we're saying with our bodies, hey, we're ready to receive the word of God. We we understand that God is about to speak to us. And so that's why when we do the scripture reading uh, every Sunday morning, we say, uh, you know, please stand for the reading of God's word in case you're wondering. So verse 6. And says, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, they weren't just listening passively. They were listening actively. They were engaged. You see, their posture, their, their physical posture, their standing, the lifting of their hands, the bowing of their faces, like, like their posture, their physical posture wasn't it wasn't just a rote exercise. It wasn't an arbitrary exercise. It was an outward display of what was happening inward in their hearts. You see, and so when we say stand for the reading of God's word, it's not just some meaningless exercise. Like what we're saying is like, God, we're, we're, what we're doing with our bodies is what we pray by your grace is ha- what's happening in our hearts. We're ready to receive your word. It was what they did was was an outward display of what was happening inward in their hearts, and so they opened themselves to receive, to affirm, and submit to all that God had to say. I want us to see something in the next two verses. Read verses 7 and 8 with me. It says Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Jacob, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josebad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, they all helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the mm-hmm. sense so that the people understood the reading. And what we see here is they basically, they, they almost like broke up into small groups, right? Like they, they broke up into these, these breakout groups. Ezra, Nehemiah, all the other leaders and the priests, the Levites, they're all helping the people understand. You see, and that's always our, our, that's always our desire as a church, is that we want every member, we want every single one of us to, to not only know uh, that they sh- should read the word of God, but we want to grow in our understanding of it. And that's why, like, I'll always invite you to come and talk to me about, about the sermon, about what we're, what we're learning. If you have a question, like, like, contact me, email me, talk to me after the service, or talk to each other, like they did in this passage. Press into the scriptures together. Like if you're here and if you have questions about like, I don't understand this passage or I don't understand why it said that in this way, like please know like we're open and like we, we want to help you understand. We're available for that. And so now this brings us to our last point. That's, that's how we respond. How we respond to the word. You see, it's more about than just receiving the word. It's also about responding to it. It's more than just receiving the word, like, we're also called to respond to it. See, truly receiving the word of God is about more than just, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to believe in my head. But it's also about, this is what I accept. This is what I'm moved by in my heart. You see, it's one thing to to believe in the words on the page, but it's another thing to like put your life, your will, and your affections under the power of it. Do you hear that? Like it's one thing to believe in the words on the page and say like, yeah, I believe that. But it's another thing to actually put your life, your will, your desires, your affections, your passions, and place all those things under the power and authority of it. You see, as they dug into the scriptures, they heard the story of God and his people, the story of their nation, the story of their families. And it says that their hearts responded accordingly. They were under the power of the word. Read verse nine with me. It says, Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, they they said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people people, all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So that's the first way that we respond to the word is with remorse over our sin. Remorse over our sin. That's why we have a prayer of confession in the beginning of our worship set. Because we want to, we want to practice that, having remorse over our sin. You see, as they rehearse the story in the book of the law, as they rehearsed the story of how their ancestors were unfaithful to God again and again. And how God would basically like bless the socks off of them. But then they'd continue to dishonor him again and again. Like when they read that, it penetrated their their, their, their souls. It penetrated their hearts. They were moved to tears. They realized how broken they were as a people, as a nation, as a tribe. You see, these aren't just like ancient dead words. These aren't just ancient, dead, quiet words resting on a page. These words are alive. They're alive. You see, they had a real living effect on the people to where they had remorse over their sin. Uh, read, read Hebrews 4.12 with me, which says, for the word of God is living and active Sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, this is what's happening when we read the Word of God it cuts us open. It cuts us open. It reveals the sickness inside of us. It doesn't cut us open in, in a way that's intended to hurt us. It cuts us open in a way that's intended to heal us. It reveals the sickness inside of us. You see, the word doesn't just give us the bad news that we are more broken than we know. It also gives us the good news that in Jesus, we are more loved than we could ever dare hope, than we could ever imagine. And so that's the second thing that the word of God does to us. The second way we respond to it is by rejoicing in God's grace, rejoicing in the grace of God. Read verse nine again with me. It says, Nehemiah, who's governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, they said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So, Nehemiah, Ezra, and all the other leaders, they're telling the people, look, don't weep. Don't. Don't, it's good to have remorse over your sin, but don't stay there, right? They said, look, don't weep. This day is a holy day. In other words, this day was supposed to be set apart for remembering the goodness of God. That's what God's people have been doing on Sunday since the first century. We gather weekly, not to just remorse over our sins. We gather weekly to remember, to recite, and to celebrate the gospel of the grace of Jesus. You see, they didn't only hear about how unfaithful their ancestors were. They also heard about how God provided a way to be forgiven again and again. He provided a way to be spiritually clean again and again. He provided a way for them to enjoy the restoration of a full relationship with God. You see, and so when we hear God's word, when we hear God's word read and preached, it doesn't just reveal to us that we're, we're people who sin. It also reveals to us that our God is a God who saves You see, the word doesn't just reveal that we're people who sin. It also reveals that God is a God who saves. You see, God's word to his people, his word to his people is that our sin-stained brokenness will not get the final word in our lives. His love, his grace, and his mercy gets the final word. It's his love, his grace, and mercy. That's what we walk away with. And because we live on this side of the cross in history, we have an even greater understanding of that grace than they did. Right? Because all those deliverance... Things like where God delivered his people, where he saved them, where he redeemed them in the book of the law, all of that was pointing forward to an even greater redemption that we have in Jesus. You see, and we have the rest of the books of the Bible. We have the whole collection, right? Like they just have the first five books. We have the whole collection. And so knowing the full testimony of scriptures that we have, that the God of the Bible takes joy in extending grace to ill-deserving sinners like you and like me, that should give us Spiritual strength to live our lives for him. To live our lives for him rather than than to run from him. That leads to our third way that we respond to the word of God is that it reforms our lives. It reforms our lives. The word reform means to make changes in order to improve. You see, the word of God actually makes changes in us. It's news, it's message, it's news that we proclaim, but it's news that in, in a spiritual way like makes changes in our lives, in our hearts, changes that improve us. Read verse 13 with me. It says, On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And so we see here that a smaller group of leaders, they they gathered now to study the Bible together. Like earlier we saw everyone was gathered studying the Bible. Now here in this verse, we see that a smaller group of, of leaders were gathered to study the Bible together. And then in verse 14, it says, And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, Here's what's happening. You see, as they read the book of the law of Moses, what they realized is that in Leviticus 23, God gave clear instruction to his people that they were to celebrate this thing called the Feast of Booths on the seventh month, which is what what this was when they gathered. They were supposed to celebrate something called the Feast of Booths to celebrate the grace of God in saving them. Uh, You see, these guys that were gathered together, they realized that... There was something that God instructed them to do that they had been neglecting for decades. Now, how do they respond to this news? Read verse 16 with me. It says, So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And so basically they respond by doing what the word says. They respond by doing it. By making changes. Imagine that. Like, as they read this, there was an immediate response. As they read in the Word of God about something that they were supposed to do, that they were not doing, they had an immediate response. And it wasn't this begrudging response. It was a joyful, almost childlike response. They're like, all right, let's let's do that, right? Like, we need to do this. The Word says to do that, so let's do it. And then read verse 17 and 18 with me. It says, And so the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, lived in the booths. And for from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel hadn't done so. They hadn't done this for decades. And there was a very great rejoicing when they did do it. Verse 18, and day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Here's the key. To be reformed by God's word, to, to have God's word make meaningful, lasting changes in your life, it means that, that, that you change, that you respond to what in your life To what God teaches in the Scriptures. To be reformed, to be reshaped, to be renewed by God's Word means to change your life in response to what the Scriptures teaches. Very simply, it means taking the Bible seriously. You take the Bible seriously. You not only believe it, but you obey what it says. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, here's what this says. It says, look, the Bible, which is breathed out by God... When you read it, when it's preached to you, when you meditate on it, it's going to do work on you. The Bible is going to do work on you. The Word of God is going to confront you. You see, look, right now you have ways of seeing, you have ways of thinking, ways of engaging the world around you, and the Word of God is going to enter into that, and and in a very gracious way, God's going to show you what is true, good, and beautiful. He's going to say, no, not like that, like this. No, I'm not like that, I'm like this. You see, the Word of God will correct us. It will teach us. It will point us by the grace of God in the right direction and show us where we are going in the wrong direction. And so if that's the case, then it shouldn't surprise us that there are things that we read in the Scriptures that tempt us to go, man, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't think like that. I don't, I don't like that. I don't desire that. Like, give me, give me kind of a more feel-good verse, Right? Give me a verse I could put under a magnet on my refrigerator, right? But here's a good and reliable test of discipleship. A good and reliable test of, if you're following Jesus, is, is ask yourself this question. What do you do with the parts of the Bible that are hard for you? What do you do with the parts of the Bible that are difficult for you right now? I love this quote from Mark Twain. He just kind of shoots straight, and he says, look, he says, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. You see, some of us don't like that when we read the Word of God, that there's a chance that we might realize that our lives need adjusting, that our attitude needs adjusting, that our lives, our thoughts, our, our, our passions might need to change change. Might need to be tweaked. We don't want, but when, when, we, when, we, when we say that, when we do that, then we don't really want to follow the God of the Bible. We want to follow a God that's formed to meet our own image. A God who caters to our own conveniences, caters to our own preferences. You see, but if you're only following the part of Jesus, or if you're only following part of Jesus and you're not following all of him, then you're not following Jesus, you're following you, right? But what does the Word of God do? You see, the Word of God do, and the people understood this, and we need to understand this this morning, is that when God's people get preached at from the Word, When we read the word, when we're at home, when we're studying it in community, when we seek to understand that word, then we'll respond by owning our sin, by enjoying God's grace, and by following Jesus faithfully, all of him. And that's what they did. That's what they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. You see, and Christians today are the recipients of this same book, the book that they yearned for. That they hungered for. The book that they responded to. Is this the same book that we have today. But you know like I said earlier. Like the scriptures we have. The 66 books of the Old and New Testament. Like we have the whole collection. They just had the first five books. These 66 books in the Old and New Testament. They've been preserved for us by the grace of God throughout the centuries. It's a gift. It is a gift. And what do you do with a gift? You open it. You receive it. You see, in God's word, we're not only able to understand his character, we actually get to meet him, to know him, to delight in the one who all scripture points to, Jesus. You see, John 1 says that Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the Word made flesh. He's the one who was there in the beginning when everything was made. He's the one who was promised to fix all the brokenness we see around us. He's the one who came to seek and to save the lost. Lost people like you, like me, and like millions of other people throughout church history. In Acts 28, which is the last chapter uh, of, of Acts, it's in the book of Acts, you know, the story of the early church of Jesus growing, the story of disciples being made and churches being planted. Uh, in the last chapter, in Acts chapter 28, we see the Apostle Paul is making his appeal to a crowd of people. He's bringing the gospel to him. He's bringing the good news. And here's what it says. It says in verse 23 of chapter 20, Acts 28, it says... When they, the people, had appointed a day for him, they're speaking of Paul. Basically, they, when they allowed him a chance to preach, to contend for what he believed, it says, They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. He preached to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You see, when Paul preached... When he preached, he preached from the same books that Ezra did about Jesus. It says he preached from the law of Moses and also from the prophets. That's because the entire Bible, the entire Bible, even the parts that came before Jesus was born, the entire Bible is about Jesus, it's about him. He's the point of the whole thing. He's the point of every chapter. You see, at the end of his own life, Jesus in Luke 24, after his resurrection, he's speaking to his disciples and he opens up the Old Testament and he's walked his disciples through the whole thing, through the whole Old Testament, starting in the law, going through the prophets, including books like Nehemiah. And he tells his disciples, Jesus tells his disciples, look, he says, all of this is about me. It all points to me. That's the reason I came. It's all fulfilled by me. You see, the church in Acts was created, was formed, and was multiplied by the power of the word. Every single time you see disciples made, every single time you see a new church planted in the book of Acts, it says the word went forth and prevailed. That's the whole point of this. That's why we gather. That's why we make disciples. That's why we plant churches, is to bring the word of God to people, to form people with the word and to grow in the word ourselves. And that's why we will always be a Bible-believing church. That's why we will always be a Bible-preaching church. You see, you don't come here every week to hear my thoughts. They're not that incredible. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what Jesus has done. It doesn't matter what I think, it matters what Jesus has done. That's why I'm not gonna ever like pontificate here from the, from the pulpit, like about my own opinions, about my own ideas. Like I'm going to, to preach the Word of God. I'm gonna point us to Jesus. That's what we've been doing every week until now, and that's not gonna change. By the grace of God, like, that's not going to change. You see, Jesus is not just a way to help us be better at keeping the law of Moses. He's the end of the law for those who believe. It says he fulfilled the law. You see, he's the point. He's the Savior. And through his word and by his spirit, he comes into our churches, into our lives, and he changes Everything, He changes everything for the fullness of our joy and for the glory of His name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening.